Welcome to this edition of Hindsight is Horrifying, the show where three mostly normal and somewhat cynical adults discuss life as members of the TV generation. Now here are your hosts, Darth Jader, Jason Mitchell, and Adam B. Hello! Hello! And welcome to another exciting, thrill-packed edition of Hindsight is Horrifying. Uh, We are back doing a series... Again, yes, we had um, a one-off with Michael Drago recently. Yes, we did, we which did. is super exciting. Yeah, which was very fun, and we mm-hmm. hope to have him back. And absolutely, uh, yeah. Uh, but we are back doing '90s movies. Yeah. And uh, Mr. Brown actually selected a movie this week, so, which I am incredibly grateful for you selecting because it's in really? my in my opinion one of the best fucking movies ever. Made. I'm I'm really interested to She's hear why this beg is. to differ, I think, but that's okay. <laughs> oh, I love this movie. He's got yeah. no guest to pet, so he's back to petting me. <laughs> <laughs> I love this sweater. Well, why don't you? Oh my. Dear God. Yeah. <laughs> why don't you tell us what we got? It's we have, we have, between the two of you should be able to do this. I'm about to do the synopsis, so you. You tell do us the synopsis. I will announce the film and how it got chosen. Okay. So the film is called Barton Fink with John Turturro. For the first time in the history of the Cannes Film Festival, one film has swept all the major awards. Barton Fink. Welcome to Los Angeles, Mr. Fink. Excuse me? Howdy, neighbor. Are you a writer, Mr. Fink? Actually, I'm writing for the pictures now. Oh, it's an exciting time, then. Is that him? Is that one Fink? Say whatever the hell you want. The writer is king here at Capital Pictures. We're only interested in one thing. Can you tell a story, Bond? Can you make us laugh? Can you make us cry? Can you make us want to break out? Enjoy us all. Is that more than one thing? Okay. Devil on the canvas. Twelve apples. Take one. Just having trouble getting started. Wallace Beery. Wrestling picture. What do you need? A roadmap? We all need understanding, Barton. Oh, you'll lick this picture business. Believe me, you got a head on your shoulders. And what is it they say? Where there's a head, there's hope. I'm sitting in the audience. The lights go down. Capital logo comes up. Come on. Nate? LAPD. Got some questions we want to ask you. I'm, I'm, I'm in trouble. Something horrible's happened. Female Caucasian, about 30 years old. Ever seen mud with anyone fits that description? But, you know, with the head still on. Well, Barton, you might say I saw peace of mind. Right now, the contents of your head are the property of Capital Pictures. But, Charlie, why me? Because you don't listen! A new film by Joel and Ethan Cohen. Now, I originally chose a movie called The Naked Lunch, which I... (laughs) (laughs) Another excellent movie. Yes, I I remember watching it, and it is the most bizarre, surreal film I'd ever seen, but I loved it. But guess what? It wasn't available. That that surprises me. It was really weird. Yeah, I'm amazed that Naked Lunch is not available. I know. Yeah. I couldn't find it nowhere. I mean, you can still get Where the Buffalo Roams, the Bill Murray, Hunter Thompson movie. So (laughs) if you can get that, you should be able to get Naked Lunch. Theoretically, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But as I was cruising around, uh, Barton Fink popped up and I was like, why is that? Turns out Judy Davis was in both of the films. Yeah. But I, I looked at Barton Fink and I'll tell you the reason I chose it is because when I first tried to watch it, when it first came out in the film, I couldn't get through it. Really? I just could not get through it. I, ha- I hadn't been in the entertainment industry. I was still in the Navy. And it just seemed really <laughs> slow moving. Oh, man. I was like, and what kind of bizarre symbolism is this? So I said, let me try it again. And this time I couldn't. Oh, you can't go. stop. Oh, then I, I can't wait to hear the ass scale at the end of this episode. Oh, it, oh yeah, yeah. it's going to be interesting. Because well, it really was Seinfeld as I was a kid. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I was used to watching Alf back then and I loving it. And so when I tried to watch Barton Fink, it was very painful. But then. How apt. Yes. I um, probably about 
almost uh, a million years ago. I don't even know when. I, I told a good friend of mine, we were talking about The Big Lebowski, and he was a huge Coen Brothers fan. And we were talking about the movies. We were talking about Fargo and and uh, Blood Simple and all that stuff. And he said Barton Fink. And I said, you know, I've never seen Barton Fink. And literally, it was that's the end of the conversation. We're going home right now. I have wow. a copy of it on Blu-ray, and we're going to watch <laughs> Barton Fink. He was okay. like, he, he goes, you have you, if you like the Coen Brothers, you have to watch Barton Fink. All right. <laughs> um, and this was I th- before. This, yeah, it would have been before Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? It was 91. So it no, yeah. no, when I saw it. Oh, yes, When, okay. when I saw it. So, it. Yeah, so Oh Brother, I, Where Art Thou was 99. Yeah, uh, yeah, 99. Let's I think so, it. yeah. But no, so I hadn't seen John Turturro acting in a Coen Brothers movie more than the Jesus in The Big Lebowski. And he was like, you got to see it. You absolutely have to see it. And so it literally was like that night. Okay, watched it, and it was... You know, holy crap. Oh, 2000 was okay. Yeah, 2000, yeah. My bad. Uh, and absolutely fucking loved it. Really? Yeah, absolutely. I, I love... Well, you're into strange movies I, anyway, so... I love the Coen brothers. Yeah. They're, mm-hmm. you know, mainly their early and middle stuff. But, uh, you know... Interesting. Well, I had never even heard of this movie before Mr. Brown suggested it for the podcast. So, uh, as Per your MO, <laughs> you introduced me to something weird and strange. So there you go. Well, and it was it was interesting too because it's a movie that at the time, I mean, critically it was huge. Critically. You know, really? Fit- oh yeah. It was the first I wasn't able to do a ton of research on this particular movie. I took plenty of notes like I normally do, but I wasn't I didn't have time it, to do a ton if, of research. If I remember correctly, and I'd have to go and look, but at Con, <laughs> it won the Palm Door and Best director and best actor. I think it was the first movie to get all three. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. And what, was it's it John Turturro that won the best actor? Which, yeah. Which, okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, the, I know that, uh, God, I can't remember his name. The guy who plays the, uh, the studio head. He was, he oh, got Michael uh, Lerner. Lerner. Michael Lerner. Yeah. Jesus. Thank you. Uh, he was nominated, I know, for an Academy Award. And I think it was the only Academy Award he actually won. Was for best supporting. Oh, in this in, film, in, yeah. In, oh, in this he film. was. He was. Oh, good. he was fucking awesome. <laughs> Everyone in it is fucking no. awesome. He plays Jack Lipnick. Yeah, Lipnick. Yeah. The only thing about this movie that disappointed me after all these years was I completely forgot that uh, Steve Buscemi has almost no part in the movie. <laughs> I thought I. But I don't he's know. rather memorable. He's very it's Chet. Chet. Yes. Chet. My name is Chet. I wrote that down because he keeps repeating it to John (laughs) Turturro. So uh, before we fall down the rabbit hole of all this description, so the synopsis of this movie is New York intellectual Barton Fink comes to Hollywood in 1941 to write a screenplay, but he soon finds himself with a severe case of writer's block as a bizarre sequence of events distracts him from his task. Yeah. And that's... Which, That's the kind of synopsis that can be an either excellent movie or terrible movie. This is true. And I'm not sure that I really agree with the bizarre part of it. It's a lot of, lots of twists and turns, sure, as he encounters different people in yeah. this new environment in L.A., but it's nothing all that crazy, is it? Well, it's... Biz- Until it, it, it takes a pretty sharp turn toward the end, though. Yeah. So yeah. I, I don't know. It, it's bizarre in, in sort of the Coen brothers way where, you know, there's always this kind of element of, of the filmmaker as God sort of reaching in and kind of fucking with everyone a little bit. To the point of it being somewhat surreal for the characters. Yeah. It's not a David Lynch movie. No. <laughs> yeah. It's not, it's not weird and surreal to that degree. Um, but, but yeah, it's, it's basically, I mean, like you have the whole thing where the entire movie, he's looking at a photograph and of that he, woman of that woman, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, so there is a surreal element to it. And then at the end of the movie, it's like the photograph is presenting himself or presenting itself to him. Yeah. You know, so there is surrealness. I love this, this opening shot when Barton Fink first goes to California. And he's and staying he, at the Palm. Yeah. Uh, the Earl, <laughs> the Earl, the Earl. And. As I watched this this morning, and I felt like this must be what it feels like to walk into a church that is is like a grand, huge church that hasn't been used in forever, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, okay. it's cavernous, but there's this shaft of light coming in, and it's just, it, it, 
And here great. he comes, uh, good old Steve Buscemi, the bizarre from the basement, coming from the basement, yeah, from the basement through, through the places. hole, yeah, yeah which doesn't go anywhere. There's there's no payoff. Like, no. yeah, to, there's to no, the whole, yeah. no. He comes out of a hatch, which obviously leads to some sort of cellar, like you guys were saying. But why? We never find out. He it, just appears from the floor. <laughs> well, and the weird thing is, is that. If this was any other movie by anybody else, I would say, well, you know, I bet there was this whole plot that was cut out. But with the Coen brothers, that's just not even it's, necessary. No. no, they, um, I think, uh, at least based on what I read, I think there were 10 shots that they actually got for the movie in total that didn't make it. Really? So all but 10 shots that they actually <laughs> filmed made it into the movie. That's damn near unheard of. Yeah. Well, they're pros. Yeah. I mean, they're they're the Coen brothers. That's what they do. Gotcha. And I love how when John Turturro is checking in, he has to clarify as to whether or not he's just staying temporarily or for a long res. period of time. Yeah. What trans was or res. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> trans or res. And you only get a complimentary shoe shine if you're a res. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> and Chet's not even that great at that because he mixes yeah, up he the shoes. That up, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and it's interesting, the whole concept of the Earl, the hotel. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the these very sort of green, rotting colors. It's got you know. almost a shining element to it. It's uh, yeah. There's a lot. That's yeah. A movie about a writer who goes crazy in a hotel room. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, yeah. Yeah, it has a very mm-hmm. similar vibe. But you know, he doesn't get quite as murdery. <laughs> no, but it it's the the hotel is such an interesting place because the original concept for the Earl was that. Um, in Hollywood, back uh, at least up through the 60s, I don't know how long this lasted, but you, if you went into like a low-rent residential hotel, you would see like former actors, people who were sort of like, you know, like the Bela Lugosi's. Yeah. And it was like they had a little pension from their union, and that was just enough to get them a room. And so the idea was it was going to be like mental patients and old feeble people and all that. And then they came up with this brilliant idea where they said, you're never going to see any other resident, but you'll see evidence they exist, like the shoes in the hallway. Well, minus John Goodman. But those are the only two that you're ever going to see. Yeah. Uh, But what's funny is that when he checks in, you find he's kind of up on his high horse because this was a period of time where authors I think were just simply more respected across the board because yeah. just based on a single play this studio in Hollywood brings John Turturro out to LA or Barton Fink out to LA and they give him a pension and not a feeble one Jason no, they give a him thou- a thousand dollars a week and Adam did uh he I looked, looked it into up. this I put the inflation factor um, on it the inflation what is it? factor what is it working out to? It actually, yeah, what is it? I don't $21,000 a week. Fuck me. <laughs> backwards. 4000 a month. Oh, I thought it was a week. 21000 a week, 84000 a month. Oh, okay. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Uh, yeah, Roughly. so he's got... But so that doesn't really track because then why is he in this run-down he hotel? That. No, he, he wants he that wants, environment? He yes. wants that. Okay, he, I missed yeah. that aspect he of it He writes about the everyman. Yeah, yeah, because he does describe himself. He's this self-deprecating author who doesn't want to cut myself off from the wellspring of the common Well, he's man. a phony. He's a fucking phony. He's a complete phony. And he's completely condescending yeah. toward John Goodman. He, yeah, he never lets John Goodman tell him a story. Yeah, and he's always yeah. like, oh, I bet you have a ton of stories yeah. being a common man yourself. And no, he's always he, sort he, of dismissing yeah, it. Yeah, no, he's a complete fucking fake. Because he like, when they say to him, uh, when he first goes into the uh, uh, the studio head's office, and they say, what's, what's wrong with your face? And he says, oh, it's a mosquito bite. And he's like, well, what place did you put him into? Oh, the Earl. No, no, not the Earl. Put him into this place. Or the hell, he can stay at my house. Oh, I missed that line completely. And, okay. he, and he's like, no, I need to stay where the common man stays. Oh, God. Yeah. And he's so, like, up his He's pretentious. Yeah. He's completely pretentious. Yeah, that's yeah. a good word for it. Which I didn't really appreciate the first time I saw it. And Why watched, do you now? I, I don't know. Maybe I was just paying closer attention to it. But it, it was very much... The thing that jumped out at me, like really jumped out at me this time, was the fact that he would constantly, uh, John Goodman's character, Charlie. Yeah, Charlie. Charlie would say, boy, I could tell you a story. I could tell you a story. Boy, I've got stories to tell. And he never lets him tell a single story while 
saying he wants to tell the story of the common man. And he repeatedly puts down John Goodman's whole existence because in one of these, uh, the bigger, uh, more deep lines, I guess, he says to him, you know, in a way, I envy you. Charlie, your daily routine, you know what's expected. You know the drill. My job is to plumb the depths, so to speak, dredge up something from inside, something honest. I got to tell you, the life of the mind, there's no roadmap for that territory. Territory. Yeah. And so he's basically putting him down for having yeah. a predictable existence. Well, but Charlie gets his, you know, gets him back, you know, the whole thing at the end where he's, Charlie's going down the hall. We'll get to what John Goodman's character becomes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but when he's walking down the hallway with a shotgun after just having murdered someone going, I'll show you the life of the mind. Yeah. <laughs> yes. The movie does get awful murdery. <laughs> Uh, low body count for, um, well, One, two, well, three, four, 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 by four implication. maybe. Yeah. Well, actually maybe seven. It's funny how often Michael Lerner plays the big shot. No, he, it might be seven. Really? Because remember, last, remember yeah. uh, John Goodman specifically references that he saw Barton's parents and uncle <gasps> back oh, in Brooklyn. Right. And he that, couldn't oh, reach them. he couldn't reach them. Oh, so you don't know. Oh, yeah. Be, that's oh, adds a little extra <laughs> twist. <Yeah. laughs> So, okay, he goes insane, and why is that, gentlemen? Well, Barton... Writer's block? Yeah. yeah Partially. Just, yeah. Well, okay, so Barton, he's a playwright in New York. A brilliant one at that, to the point where yeah. his, Well, he the writes audience, one hit. He might not be brilliant. He wrote a hit. Well, the audience called for the author at the end yeah. of the show, so mm -hmm. they asked him to come out and take a standing ovation. Well, so it must have been pretty, well, pretty good. Well, that's what I mean. <laughs> that one play... Was definitely very, but it wasn't his only play, right? It was just no, his only so. one that he did well. Yeah, the rest. He even admits that at the restaurant because uh, that lady uh, who's complimenting his work, he's like, oh, "It's just the one thing I did," you know. And see, and that was another thing that stuck out at me, really big time. Watching it uh, again was, you know, so he has the play, the play premieres, it's a huge success, critically acclaimed. <laughs> um, the Nice catch. Are you, guys, are you guys gonna? I almost spilled the Yeti. It's okay. It's <laughs> yes. okay. Stop stroking my Yeti. <laughs> Weirdo. Oh. But yeah, so Judy Davis is complimenting uh, his work. Anyway, you said something. Oh stood no, no, out I wasn't even talking. I was talking about in the very beginning. Within, when, within the restaurant. At the restaurant yes. in the very beginning when they're like, oh, do you want to see what the Herald has to say about your oh, play? Oh, okay, got and it. And he's like, no, it, it, they'll use it for fish wrapping tomorrow. Ha ha. You know, A tough new voice in the American theater has arrived, and the owner of that voice is named Barton Fink. Well, they'll be wrapping fish in it in the morning, so I guess it's not a total waste. Yeah, every writer in the world... If they found out that, you know, the newspapers were talking about how great your play was, come on. They're going to read you know. it. Oh, they would well, love I don't it. Know. There are a lot of artists out there like that. I mean, there are actors that won't watch themselves in movies. It's apparently Robert Redford is one of those. Johnny Depp's another. Uh, there's some sort of self-deprecation involved in that. Like, and I don't know if it's pretension or self-deprecation or what, but eh, it's... Yeah, it's hard to say. I, I think that the the Cohen brothers in this one were trying to, they were trying to establish that Barton Fink is one of those people who says he's, oh, I'm separate from everybody else. And it's like, yeah, dumbass, because you want to be. Yeah, you're, you're, you're cultivating. Yeah, you're cultivating. Yeah. yeah, cultivating eccentricities to make it, to give the appearance that he has a personality, essentially. Especially with it. Is that a wig that he's wearing throughout this movie? That hair is insane. Oh, no. I, That's that, really his no, hair. That, that, I think that is his hair. Mm -hmm. He had Which, very thick hair back then. Very Egon Spengler. <laughs> yeah, it's very much so. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. It I was wondering so who Egon he looked like. And, yep, you're yeah. 100%. Yep. Oh, God, this cast. I know. It is a brilliant and cast. sidekick so is even. We've only mentioned know, the... a few people. We've got uh, John Turturro, John Goodman, as we mentioned, Michael Lerner. John Mahoney. Oh, yeah, John Mahoney. We love yeah. Mahoney. Who, by the way, I actually, uh, when I was doing research, um, I I don't know what I searched. I think I searched for for something about Faulkner. Okay. And Google, you know, served up an image of Faulkner. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was a still from this movie because he looks exactly like Faulkner. I'm sure they did that on purpose. Yeah. yeah. And, of course, we should probably explain his uh, Mahoney's character is it's not named Faulkner. But it's absolutely far. But he is a right. William. He's a writer yeah, yeah. Uh, that Mayhew. 
Um, yeah, he Mayhew. played uh, William Mayhew. W.P. Mayhew. Yeah. yeah. And he's a complete asshole. Oh, well, he's broken. Yeah, he's broken. He's just a broken yeah. man. And he mistreats his mistress. <laughs> so there's that. Um, but yeah, you've also got Judy Davis, uh, Tony Shaloub, John Polito, just a oh, just stacked, absolutely stacked <laughs> cast. Well, and it's a little bit of a precursor to a uh, a later day when Tony Shaloub and John Turturro once again acted together in mm-hmm. Monk because in the Turturro TV, was in Monk. He played Turturro's in everything. <laughs> well, he he played Monk's brother. Oh, okay, um, that's great. Who was much much more Monk than Monk was? I have oh this God. answering machine. This is a very good manual. All the steps are very clear. I'm sure you noticed the typo. Um, no. It's on page 42. You wrote the German part too? Ambrose can speak seven languages. Seven and a half, I'm teaching myself Mandarin. <laughs> That'll come in handy. Oh my gosh! More extreme. How than very the monk. Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, it was. Well, no, that, that it was very. Was that the concept? It, it was, I've never watched. Yeah, the there show, was so there was very know. much a sort of. Uh, but even uh, Mycroft was actually functional and could go out in society. Monk's brother, John Turturro's character in Monk was he lived at home. Okay. And it was like he was always. I think there was a whole subplot like their dad had left and he was waiting at home in case his dad came home. Oh. And he's like fifty years old. <laughs> you know, it's it, it's sad. But, oh. You know. That's but it so brilliantly sweet. played, though. I can see that. It's so, it, like it's sad to me because probably an entire generation of Darby's probably only knows John Turturro from Mr. Deeds, where he was the creepy butler. Oh, jeez. Oh, I am a very sneaky sir. <laughs> I, I think you're probably absolutely dead on there. Yeah. <laughs> All you Darby's out there. <laughs> Is that a new word? We're going to start calling them Darby's? You're such a Darby. You're young such Adams. A Darby. <laughs> Don't be such a Darby. <laughs> Derp. It's okay. He doesn't watch the episodes he's not on. So. Yeah, of course not. Well, he's just as pretentious as Barton Fink, apparently. Exactly. <laughs> so it's not worth his time unless he's in the episode. I, I will admit, Love you, buddy. I will admit when I think of John Turturro, though, I just, I think of the big Lebowski. I always I think mean, of Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Ah, uh, yeah. Do not seek the treasure. <laughs> so good. He gets arrested for going off to fornicate with one of the yeah. sirens, right? <laughs> We thought you was a, a toad. toad. <laughs> what? <laughs> Such a great movie. If you if you guys watching at home haven't immediately gone out and started chronologically watching all the Coen Brothers movies, you're really, really you're doing yourself out. a disservice. I haven't seen most of them, honestly. I've seen The Big Lebowski. I've seen No Brother Where Art Thou. You've seen Fargo. Seen... No. You've never seen Fargo. I have not, no. Oh, my God. That's like, I always thought that was the one that if anyone's seen a, a Coen Brothers movie... It was Fargo. I've just stopped traffic apparently with that information, but no. I've oh, Fargo is awesome. Now, the, the funny thing about Fargo, I was uh, dating a girl. Of course, agent, of course, agent this is appropriate. Where the <laughs> and, and she was she was living when she was in college. Shortly Statute before I started dating her, run. that she was li- she lived in Minnesota. Was going to school in Minnesota, and they watched Fargo. Nobody laughed. Really? Because that's the way they all talk. <laughs> they didn't get the joke? <laughs> they did not get the joke at all. That's it was so hilarious. Because, you know, anywhere else it's like, oh, my gosh, these well, people are crazy. That means, they, that means they did it well. They well, did it very yeah. well, yeah. It is funny how context will change how people receive a movie. For instance, in college, my one of my roommates was from Canada. And we sat her down because we realized she'd never seen Forrest Gump. And we sat her down and say, oh, you have to watch this. It's a classic. You're going to love it. It's so funny. But since none of the history was all that relevant to her personally, she didn't like it. She was like, oh, it was kind of boring. Yeah. Uh, I didn't I, like the part where Pierre Trudeau gave him the award. <laughs> I, I could see some, you know, I could see a degenerate hoser not liking. <laughs> oh, yeah. Forrest sorry, Gump. Lindsay. Total you know. degenerate. Yeah. We're she, sorry. Well, we just well, lost another listener. Well, was she, was she like totally sloshed on Molson? And she had bacon, like not oh real, God. not real bacon. bacon. Yeah, fake fucking bacon. <laughs> no. You know, she's like pouring maple syrup all over her person. fucking head. Thank you, you know? I hate Forrest Gump. She had a Gordy Howe jersey on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, but seriously, she just didn't really appreciate it to the same level because it's not her country's history. That uh, yeah. it, it, well, it's it, Forrest Gump is is a baby boomer movie. I don't I mean, know. I love Forrest Gump. Well, yeah, no, I, I, I Mrs. Gump. You know, it's weird. We should one of these days. We should do 
Forrest Gump because I kind of suspect on the Alpha Seinfeld scale, I kind of think it's going to go down. No, why? I because it was like, oh, Forrest Gump. You know, and I, I don't know. I think watching it as an old, bitter, cynical man, I'm going to go, you know what? She came back after he was a millionaire. And okay, she, and Jenny, she, I'll raise the AIDS baby. Yeah, seriously, yeah. <laughs> no, Forrest, I'm going to go You've off. You've never and, seen that on Family Guy? No. I'm going to go bang guys, and I'll come back with an AIDS baby or oh, well, whatever. Well, apparently it was you know, actually After hepatitis. you've got money. <laughs> That's whatever. evidently what it really was. But I'd be interested, uh, circling back to Darby, to get him on that episode and see if he how much of the history, you know, resonates with him because it all predates him by quite a bit. If we do Forrest Gump, we should have Darby and I'm going to reread the book. See, I've never read the book. I've only seen the movie. Yeah, The book's worth reading. I believe you're going to re-listen to the book. Yeah, actually, yeah, re-listen to it on Audible. Make sure yeah. that, you uh, hater. <laughs> no, hey, when you're dyslexic, I'm that's not what a you good do. Reader that's either. what you do. You so I'm going to make fun of other non-readers. Read. I love to read too. It's just... If I, it, I've gotten to the point now where if I sit down to read a, if for some reason, nonfiction, I can burn through no, no problem. Fiction, I've gotten to the point now where I have to listen to it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I recommended I, the, one of my favorite fictional works to you like a few weeks ago and you were like, ah, fiction, no thanks. And I was just like, I, why? I haven't read, uh, I think in the past probably 10 years, I've read maybe two fiction books. I've read hundreds of books. But I just, it's, I don't know. Like, See, most nonfiction is a little too dry for me. So I mo- I largely enjoy fiction. It depends on the subject. Fair it, enough. Yeah. That's very true. Yeah. You know, like. Undaunted you, Courage. Yeah. Well, yeah. Which, excellent book. <laughs> excellent yeah, book. Yeah. Very good book. Yeah. Actually, yeah. We were at Monticello. So I was actually thinking mm-hmm. about that. Because, there yeah, there was a lot of uh, Lewis and Clark stuff there. <laughs> um, Monticello is really cool, by the way. Did you know? that you can get a hard cider made from apples grown at Monticello, and it is fucking awesome. <laughs> mm, nice. Yeah, I had about... The history makes it taste richer. Yes, yes. No, we, uh, we, we, we were in uh, Virginia and West Virginia over Thanksgiving. Went to the Greenbrier, Ooh. which... Do you guys know the story, the whole, like, thing, what's at the Greenbrier? No, uh, I, I do not. This. Enlighten us. Because this is all very much about Barton Fink. So. <laughs> yes, it is. But, you know, this is an aside. <laughs> no, this this, this adds context. Go it's ahead. flavor. No, the Greenbrier, uh, it's a resort in White Sulphur Springs, West Virginia. Mm-hmm. And it's it's old as hell. And it's, it's, um, it's very massive, like huge. I can't express to you how big the building is. It's like going to a hotel that's the size of the Pentagon. Wow. Wow. Okay. <laughs> it's a big hotel. But it's not laid out like it's it's very difficult to to explain. The thing I think that will get the point across is that Eisenhower during the Cold War decided, hey, we need a place for Congress to go in case the Soviets nuke us. Hidden in plain sight. That was the Cold War mantra for a handful of people who built and maintained for years a secret nuclear bunker nestled deep inside a mountain at the Greenbrier Resort in southern West Virginia. A 25-ton steel door swings shut. In the event of a nuclear attack on Washington, D.C., some 400 kilometers away, members of Congress would be locked safely inside with enough generator power, food, water, and beds to last weeks. It's a story Greenbrier historian Bob Conti has been telling a long time. It really captures a moment in time. The guy who owned the Greenbrier said, well, come here. Let's build a nuclear bunker for Congress at our hotel. Nice. And for 50 years, no one knew that this thing was there. Oh, my God. And 50 years? I'll, I'll show you the pictures. It's, it's Could you go down there? Yes. Uh, they have the blast doors. Um, they the, Basically what they did was they had this whole facility that was like an exposition hall. And what you couldn't see were the blast doors. And so the idea was that Congress could come in. They would take these panels down. Here are these massive, like 25, 30 ton blast doors. Yeah. Crank them shut. And inside, oh they had literally, they had dormitories, they had a hospital, they had a dining area, they had offices, they had a crematorium. Every, I guess you'd have to. Man, I mean, would. yeah. 
But the no in, toilets though. Yeah, no toilets. That's why they had, that's why they had <laughs> the crematorium. And I know that was on your list. <laughs> but the end result was that it is literally the spookiest, weirdest fucking place. I would imagine. No, I've never been to a place like it in my entire life. Has anybody uh, died down there or something? Is it like haunted? Um, I mean, what it's, makes it it's, so spooky? It's over a hundred years old, so you know people have died there. But it's seen its better days. Okay. So it's not exactly holding up anymore, exactly how it used to be. So it's got this kind of like decaying vibe to it. Yeah. And literally there's just rooms in it. Like we went into a conference room. It was like two o'clock in the morning. I'm walking around this place. They have hundreds of these little like conference rooms all around the bunker area. Because that was where the families were going to stay. Congressional families were going to stay in these, these like conference areas. All right. Walked into one of these rooms late at night. I peek into a room and I see like, there's nothing in there. And I just see a shadow just sort of move out of the way. <laughs> like, I don't know what it was, but there was, there was something there. Anyway. So that was, that was my aside. I got to awesome. check that place out. Mm. Yeah. It's really cool. Yeah. Look up the Greenbrier bunker on YouTube. It's fascinating. Okay, yes. but uh, getting back to Barton Fink, yes. I've got an interesting factoid for you, gentlemen. Lay it on us. Evidently, John Turturro had to take classes at secretarial school to learn how to use a typewriter for this He chose role. to. Mm-hmm. He actually, he, he wanted to. Yeah, I yeah, mean. Yeah, he didn't, it, they didn't make him do it. He wanted to look authentic. Yeah. And he actually ended up writing a screenplay. He owned an, on that Underwood typewriter, John Turturro kept that typewriter and wrote a screenplay. I can't remember the name of it, but it did get produced by the Coen brothers. I'll see if I can find that yeah. in my trivia. Yeah, but yeah, that was just, that was sort of the method angle of what he was doing. The guy is just amazing. He really is. He's just, and he's been in every kind of movie. Like, he's got such range, even in, um, what was that? The Secret Window, where Johnny Depp is yeah. a writer who goes insane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Apparently, writers really like to write about that topic. <laughs> Evidently. But that one Being is... Being a writer sucks. <laughs> <laughs> it's a suffering, suffering existence. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but I love the fact that he has writer's block, and every time he, he walks into this office, you hear this rapid typing, and yes. you think, oh, finally, he's cleared the writer's block, yes. and then the, the camera pulls back, and it's, it's the secretary that's well, doing the typing. It's did, hilarious. Did you notice that every time one of the doors in the hotel opened, there was like a weird sound associated? Oh, I didn't catch that. I'll, want... I'll have to, I'll try to find it, and we can... I'll, I'll see if we can put it in the, yeah. you know, just a standalone clip. But uh, there was like a weird sound, almost like an elevator. I didn't notice it. I'm sorry as hell about the interruption. Too much revelry late at night. You forget there's other people in the world. Yeah. It- I love the elevator. Um, uh, attendant though because yes. he's so old school where he goes next stop six <laughs> this stop six and there's no one else around he doesn't really need to announce it but have you, have you read the bible you read the bible Pete holy bible yeah yeah I think so Anyway, I've heard about it. The Holy Bible? <laughs> yeah, that yeah, one. Oh, one. Tony Shalhoub. Yeah, Josh tagged in for this movie. Normally, he'll, you know, zone out and play a video game or something, but he looked up and goes, oh, Tony Shalhoub. He looks the same. Yeah. <laughs> he, looks, like, he looks thinner, I think. You can tell he's younger, but he the, the man has held up he extraordinarily has, no. well. That's what Josh was yeah. saying, is that Tony Shalhoub is absolutely ageless. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's, it's so weird because somebody from my generation, um, Tony Shalhoub was... You know, the guy from Wings. He like, was in Wings, the TV show? Yeah, he was, um, oh my God. Oh, the, he was in the Mickey. No, he wasn't. He the was the taxi can- driver. Uh, I'll do it for 75 bucks. You're hired. So, what do you think so far? Oh my God. <laughs> wires, Joe. There's lots of wires, Joe. Yeah, Helen, please, please. Uh, I'm sure that Antonio isn't finished yet, right? Of course not. I'm a professional. What the hell is that? Pretty great, huh? 
They have given you a real custom job. The entire room is filled with infrared sensors, motion detectors. A burglar hits one of those hot spots and... Hey, buddy, could you turn it off? No problem. Okay. <laughs> Systems off. That's what I knew Tony Shalhoub as. And it basically was like Tony Shalhoub from Wings, nothing than Monk. Men in Black. He <laughs> was now, in Men in Black. Now yeah. Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Oh, I've, yes. never, I've never seen Marvelous Oh, it's a great show. I love it. His name was Antonio Scarpacci. Antonio Scarpacci. <laughs> yes, I, yeah, Antonio, yeah. But that was it. That was what I knew him as. And then it's like, you see him in a movie like this. It's so different. See, I think, oddly enough, one of the first times I ever saw Tony Shalhoub was actually in Men in Black. Mm-hmm. He's the pawn shop owner, yeah. isn't he? Yeah. Yes. That's well, not one. It's not the only thing I know him from, obviously. But I think that was one of the first movies I ever saw him in. Well, you're too young for Wings. Yeah. Um, and Men in Black predates um, Monk. It oh does. yeah. Yes. Uh-huh. yeah. By, by so yeah, that shot. makes sense. That yeah. makes sense. And I'm trying to think what other Coen Brothers roles he played and I'm, I'm drawing a blank because i can't think of anything else he's done he wasn't in fargo he wasn't in big lebowski he wasn't in no brother where art thou not a lot of jews were uh oh my god <laughs> he's not at the, I, I actually have no idea i don't know what tony shalhoub is so that's not you know well it's no brother where art thou i mean he like plays a Alabama. jewish man on marvelous mrs Maisel. so you yeah. know um interesting though i guess you made a cameo in this movie with their voice Frances McDormand. Really? Yeah. The female voice heard on stage at the beginning of the film is that of Joel Cohen's wife. No shit. That was Frances McDormand. Apparently so. Oh, she's wonderful. She is just a... I know. She's one of the best actresses Yeah, she is so fucking talented. I love her. Well, in the beginning, when the actors are on stage, it's actually John Turturro. His His voice voice is is the the first one you hear. Yeah, it's the first thing you hear. Yeah. Fresh fish. (laughs) And John Mahoney... It is it's John Mahoney, right? John, yeah. yeah. John Mahoney, yeah. <laughs> Who will be famous to, you know, millions as, of course, Fraser's, Fraser's dad. dad. <laughs> yeah. But that is William Faulkner. Oh, absolutely. And there's another uh, factoid about that as far as Faulkner. Um, apparently, the poster that you see in the studio is actually some sort of reference to Faulkner. i got to find that one again. But, I think um, there's actually a It was few... a movie that came out in 1937 that uh, evidently was like written by Faulkner or something. So there there were a that lot of allusions sense. to him. Well, there was there was a movie, The Slave Ship, which... Yeah, that's, that's the movie. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And, you know, all the actors who were referenced um, in the movie um, were real actors. Oh, the movie that John Turturro wrote was Romance and Cigarettes. That's what that was called. Yeah, he wrote it on that typewriter. That's awesome. Yeah, but like you hear the whole time, you know, they're, they're doing a wrestling picture with, and I can't remember the name, uh, but the actor who's supposed to be in the wrestling picture is, he was a real actor who was very popular in the 30s. His career waned in the 40s. Um, Charlie, uh, John Goodman's character, he talks about an actor that he likes a lot, that real actor, you know, so they're, you know, it's deeply rooted um, in the in the time period. Oh, yeah, and since... Uh, John Mahoney plays Mayhew. Like you said, he's based on Faulkner, uh, whose first Hollywood contract, oddly enough, was to write Flesh, a wrestling movie for Wallace Beery. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Mm. So, so it all go. ties together. Yes, it does. Well, In the, such a Coen Brothers kind of way. The first Broadway show I ever saw was called House of Blue Leaves. Have you ever heard of it? I no. Not. John Mahoney was the star. Oh. And there was a young kid in there. And I was like, what? Ben Stiller. Ben no Stiller. shit. Was ben oh, Stiller. Was no a young way. Ben Stiller. He was like 18 years old. That's awesome. Yep. And Danny Aiello was in it. Oh, cool. man. Yeah, so it was a great show. Great show. See, that is, if if there's one thing that our culture is missing, and I've said this before, so it's not a big surprise, um, New York theater. You know, New York theater was literally it. It's where everybody was. Before you know? Minions took over the world. <laughs> On that depressing note, <laughs> we need to take a we break. We need yes. to take our first break. It's break time. We will be back in about one second. And we're back. Hello. It's good to be back. Yeah. And the name Clifford Odets. Now, this is a name I know very well. <laughs> <laughs> He's such a liar. <laughs> no, 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 no. We, we just were, had a little argument while we were pausing for a second. To, you mean you got all uppity about something? Uh, well, just, <laughs> Martin Fink was fashioned after Clifford Odets. Yes, he was. 
And I have heard of Clifford Odets, <gasps> and neither of my two scholarly no, I have cohorts to confess. have Just heard of Clifford Odets. Doesn't mean we've heard of everybody I, ever. I, <laughs> no, but I love this. I love getting to know something yeah, new. Yeah, yeah. something. No, Mr. I Brown. wish I could. It's just a friend of mine. <laughs> what a friend the of mine. Actual hell was the point of this? <laughs> no, I was in a show with a guy one time who who started. He said he was. This is like a play written by Clifford Odets, and I said Clifford Odets. What a bizarre name! But it filed it away. This was like twenty years ago, mm-hmm. and now it's finally I was just coming. Back. To well, there you go. Yes. That's like I, I don't You're really just learning to walk at 15 years old. <laughs> I'm just after just... the accident. Yes. <laughs> oh, shut up. Right <laughs> oh, old Ironsides is crippled again. <laughs> uh, well, that's like I don't really know much about Pinter, but I like the express. Yes. I like the expression more pauses than a Pinter play. Yes. You know, so I've used that before. <laughs> more twists than O. Henry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but uh, I don't. You know, I don't really know what that means, but I'm going to use it anyway. Well, um, good for you. Yes. So now I I have a question as I was watching this. Is this, is this him hallucinating a little bit? Is, is this the play that he has written or the screenplay that he has written because it's about a wrestler, got a wrestler, right? I just noticed at the very end, it it gets a little surreal. The, the, not the second half, the third act of the movie has a lot of room for interpretation because the entire movie, Barton is trying to write this um, this screenplay about a wrestler. Yes. He's completely backed up. He can't write. You know, he gets a paragraph, you know, a sentence, really. Um, and that's it. And he's constantly saying, like, well, you know, I don't know where to start. I need that idea to get going. Mm-hmm. And then in the third act, it's it's the moment of truth. He's going to have a meeting with his boss. The boss is expecting to hear a synopsis. So he calls uh, Mayhew's assistant slash lover slash whatever. Abuse victim. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Abuse victim. Yeah. And says, I need your help. You got to come over here. You know, I'm I'm losing my mind. You got to help. She comes over and she's like, look, no big deal. We'll write it uh, a treatment. We can do it tonight. Everything's fine. In fact, it's so fine. We can bone and then I'll do it <laughs> and then after. have time, yeah. Yeah, afterwards. Because that's a, the key to productivity is getting laid. Well, you know, well, 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 no, that, her whole character is like, all you need is you just need someone to to understand you. Okay, she's one of those sort of hangers on and enablers. You know, that yeah, because when Mayhew slaps her around, uh, she you know defends him. She feels bad for him. Yeah, yeah. She, she feels, after mm-hmm. he abuses she her, she feels him. bad. Yep. But then she ends up dead. And she, you know, um, spoiler alert. Yeah, Bar- Barton Fink wakes up, and there's this very interesting scene where he sees a mosquito land on her, and he makes a rookie mistake. You never swat a mosquito; you pluck it, you but, brush it off. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, something like that. But and then he discovers that she's dead. Now, I don't think they ever really give you an explanation for how she dies. They don't. It's mysterious. It she is has mysterious. kind of a boozy quality to her, so that's a possibility. Which exploded? <laughs> <laughs> yes. There's what? A, there's a lot of blood. <laughs> you know, it's not like she drank too much and, you know, blew up. That's true. <laughs> no, but it's sort of like, well, did... did Well, maybe Totoro's a little well-endowed and he broke her. And that was a good show. Power thrill. Power right, that was thrill. a good show, everybody. Thank you for joining us. Night. <laughs> Hindsight and good night. Oh, Lord. Power okay. through, buddy. Power through. <laughs> no, um, no. That's what he said. No, but like the first time I watched this, it was, God damn it. <laughs> I had to throw going, another keep monkey going, wrench. Keep going. Keep going. Okay, focus. Yes. The first time that I watched this, I just assumed that John Goodman's character, who is revealed to be a murderer. Had yes. blown her away. Yeah. Had killed her. Yeah. But... Watching it the second time, none of that holds up because um, how did he fucking do it? Without John Turturro well, noticing? How did John Turturro not notice? John Turturro bangs her, goes to sleep, wakes up, and she's Yeah, and it's not dead. like he's drugged or anything where he wouldn't have heard it or he's way not too fast. Not that we know. That we're not aware that we of, know, yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know. Yeah, because how does John Goodman even come into John Turturro's character's life? Because John Turturro complains about the noises that yeah. he's making in his room, which are like all these drunken howls. <laughs> Crying. I mean, 
you could interpret yeah. if you wanted to be really that that sort of person about it, you could interpret the entire movie as saying that um you know, did John Goodman when when Barton Fink complained about Charlie making too much noise, did John Goodman come uh, around the uh, or down the hallway and kill him? And, and the rest of it this, is and, and the rest of it is just in his head. It might be um oh what's that term we discovered? Hypoxic hallucination as he yeah. was dying. Who yeah. knows? Um, it's a possibility. Well, you, but, do you ever see the movie Wild? It was a Wild Orchid, where it was um, it, it was actually a movie occurring, but it was being written as it was going on. Yeah, and, I know what you're talking about. And, yeah, I had no idea. Yeah, it was interesting. Like these two twin brothers, right? One was a traditional writer, one was an action writer. So it started out really slow moving and traditional. Yeah. And, and and he said, let me help out. And then the film got more fast paced. It was almost like when she came over, it's like, hey, we need a plot twist. And, yeah. and he actually yeah. started writing something bizarre yeah. for the oh. film, like a treatment. Okay. Yeah. And this, this is how the treatment was playing out. You know, suddenly Goodman was a murderer and, you know, the cops came and then the whole place caught on fire. Oh, and you, you see, it was, huh. it was, it was, it, it was almost like a movie because Goodman <laughs> so was a wrestler. The sequence is so great. <laughs> I know. This is good. Yeah. Well, this is a very important sequence in the movie though, because this is after Barton has, you know, he's finished his screenplay, yes. which is like 500 pages long, you know, and he's, he's exuberantly dancing. And this is when you see real hubris on Barton Fink's part. Yes. So tell because, us what's happening. Because, you know, you have this, it's 1941, you know, these guys are shipping out. It's war, Fleet Week. <laughs> well, war has begun. <laughs> and these guys are like, hey, you know, I'm shipping out. You know, yeah. let me cut in. And he's like, no, I create beautiful things. Look how awesome and special I am. I know. Yeah. And then it's kind of all downhill. Because he's dancing with the wrong sailor's girl, evidently. <laughs> Well, it's, it's, you know. Is that a party foul at a USO gathering, Mr. Brown? <laughs> Have you been to a lot of USO <laughs> gatherings? I've been to a few, yeah. He loves it when we tease him. Of course, of course. Well, well the thing yeah, is, USO just, still exists. You don't want to, you don't want to tick off the sailors or the Marines, or they take it out on you. <laughs> no, you don't want to tick off the Marines. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's, let's be clear. Why do you think I'm so nice to Jeremy all the time? <laughs> yeah, seriously. Yes. Yeah. That's the real reason. No, it's, it's. It's a very, the whole movie uh, by this point is completely open to interpretation. Yeah. You know, you don't ever actually see what's in the box that Charlie gives to Barton. You assume it's the head. Gwyneth uh, Beltro's head. Yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> what? <laughs> Gwyneth Beltro's head. What movie was that? Seven. Seven. Yeah, you never. Did you oh, ever see I haven't seven? seen seven since the 90s. Yeah. I, mean, I was really little when it seven, came out. No, that, that movie. I don't like that movie. Yeah, oh. yeah. That, that's, that's I what, vaguely remember parts of it. That was Brad Pitt and Morgan yeah. Freeman, right? Yes, of that, that's one of the few movies that I I, I don't I don't want to watch it. I oh I yeah. recently tried to rewatch it and couldn't. That's what it was. So it's, I didn't remember that part. I didn't make it that far. I don't think so. Ugh. Yeah, but but you know you don't know what's is that what's her name's head in the in the <laughs> box. Um, you don't really know who killed who. You don't really right. know none of it, it. It has enough surrealist quality to it that you can kind of say anything is happening because I mean, the building's burning down and Barton Fink just walks out, you know, it's, you know, and it catches more fire as yeah, John beautiful Goodman too. walks down the hallway. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's incredible. The whole, the whole fire yeah. sequence. Yeah. It's so well shot. Like, uh, pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> but, you can't, yeah. you, the, uh, I was actually watching it, trying to find out like, okay, where's the gas coming in from? And like, you can't see it. It's, they like, they painted the walls yeah. in fuel yeah. and had it. It's, it's such a good movie. It is. It's well, I don't know about good, but <laughs> it's an interesting their, movie for sure. And not their usual cinematographer. Barry Sonnefeld was uh, not available. Yeah, I was just reading that, yeah. actually. Yeah, he, he was busy directing The Addams Family. <laughs> he went for the big bucks. He well, got a big paycheck. Yes, he did. And, you know, generations love that movie. And they keep remaking different versions of it. They just did that Wednesday hey, series on Netflix or if whatever. If you told me chance to work with Raul Julia, I'm dropping everything. Angelica Houston. Eh, Raul Julia. Christopher Lloyd. Raul Julia. Oh my God. He's like okay. the cool. He's like the I'm coolest. I'm not saying dude that's ever. not a good yeah, motivator, but there's yeah. a lot in that. Got movie. a <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but and Christopher Lloyd too. Oh, Angelica Houston, I can kind of take her leave. 
I don't know. I've never, I think I've never, she's se- great. I've never really seen an Angelica Houston movie. It, Life Aquatic. She Life, played a great. She was um, great in Life Aquatic. Chinatown. She, she did a really good job as yeah. the evil stepmother in, in Chinatown after. with Jack Nicholson. Yeah. Oh goodness. I didn't have the heart to tell <laughs> her old man that I had been banging her. You know. Oh, did that you is, see that? That you is the most that? fucked up movie. Oh, I know. <laughs> if you haven't seen Chinatown, I have not. It's it's yeah. worth watching, but it has got some shit in it that uh, yeah. Anyway. Oh, I tell you what, I'd be surprised if Darby has not seen this movie actually, because apparently. The love of his life, Bruce Campbell, revealed in his autobiography that he unsuccessfully auditioned for a cameo Ooh. role in this movie. Wow, Bruce. <laughs> and I know for a fact that Darby's read Bruce's autobiography. Oh, so Bruce Campbell. He that probably, is his great love, yeah. Yeah, yeah the, the, the cops are such caricatures. Flatfoots. Yeah. Oh, you know, big time. That it, it, it it's, it's not, there's no political statement in the movie, you know. They're very anti-Semitic. But the Coen brothers have gone on record and said there is absolutely no political statements in this movie. It's just the context of the time. Oh, very much so. But these cops are so over the top that I feel like that adds to the surrealism. It's almost buffoonish. (laughs) Like, it's so It really is. Yeah. But here we have, this is uh, towards the uh, climax of the movie. This is when Charlie, who is actually known as Madman Monk, Munch? Munch. Munch. He's, Munch. he's German. Heil Hitler. <laughs> yeah, that came out of nowhere. Did. I, I was, did not remember the Heil Hitler. I was wondering how. <laughs> I totally didn't know that. He's anti-Semitic in a couple of Colin Brother movies. Yes, he is. <laughs> Being part of the clan in a yeah. brother where I know. But the, um, the ending of the movie, though. Or a bigot, at least. Yeah. <laughs> at the very least, you have to like. I'm, I'm splitting hairs okay. over here. Don't worry about it. Go ahead, do your pep. So Charlie comes back after it's revealed he is a murderer, and he he kills the police officers that are looking after him, uh, looking for him, and rescues Barton Fink. But when you think about it, there's absolutely no reason for him to come back at all. Like, why would he even bother coming back to LA? So I think that you this know. is part of some kind of show, the screenplay yeah, that he wrote. Yeah, this is the screenplay. And we never really get a lot of detail on that screenplay. No. Except it ends uh, with high this, level yeah. treatment. Yeah, that's it. We do we do hear at the beginning of the movie. We hear the last line of his play, which is, you know, like we'll, we'll what was it like we'll get a postcard or look for a postcard from him? I don't know. And that's the last line of the script he writes. Okay. And I've never known what to make of that because There's it's so like many little details like that in this yeah. movie that I missed quite a few of them. I'll be the first to admit, but it's incredibly detailed. Will you watch it again tonight? Uh, watch Fargo. <laughs> yes. Watch Fargo. You should we'll watch see. Fargo. You we'll really, see. you really need to watch Fargo. It's, it's fantastic. I might save that for the weekend. Yeah. Fargo is, uh, Fargo is one of those movies that, that it bridged the gap between the indie movie and the mainstream movie. Yeah. You know, because it was like the first time that somebody made a movie like this, but it made a fortune. Right. And it was a huge hit. And what it won best act or best director it was best picture, I know. And Frances McDormand won best actress. I think she did. Yeah. So she I, was yeah, won wonderful. at least two Academy Awards. Yeah. I, I mean, duh, it's Frances McDormand. <laughs> yeah. She's, yeah, bloody great. And she um, was the one who apparently convinced Polito to keep his role because he wanted Lerner's part originally. Oh, and really? He, yeah, he turned down the role that he ended up having originally, uh, but she talked him into doing it. So She's thank a very, you, Francis. V- very convincing woman. We appreciate you. Yeah. And it's it's so cool, like, watching these old John Goodman parts because you really do forget, you know, that John Goodman was more than the guy from Roseanne. Now, when when was yeah. Roseanne again? I can't remember. Was that the 80s? It was 80s into the 90s. Okay. Yeah. So this was, yeah, he was already in Roseanne. Well, and the thing was, I was texting you about it because uh, Jason gets into this funk where sometimes he'll answer us, sometimes he won't. <laughs> so uh, Adam and I will fall in, down our texting. Do, yeah, we fall down our texting rabbit hole. I, got, uh, I get this fucking Duolingo bird yelling at me because I'm not studying <laughs> Japanese enough. Okay, so I... The Duolingo bird. That fucking bird, man. <laughs> he is annoying. He's like the paperclip from Holy Lord shit. Oh, I remember the paperclip? Yeah. Oh, my God. Clippy. Clippy. <laughs> he was annoying as hell. Um, but, yeah, John Goodman, because we recently did another John Goodman picture, which was? 
Was it a football one? It was Revenge of the Nerds. Oh, Revenge of the Nerds. But yeah, that's right. He was the football coach. He was. He was the football coach, but he was so true in that movie. He was. And there was only like a six year difference between that and this. Well, uh, have you seen him lately? He's lost a lot of weight. He's lost a ton of weight. Yeah. Yeah. He didn't look anything like like this. No, he looks much different. Which is kind of sad because like as a kid, I remember going to the theater and have either of you seen uh, The Babe where you play Babe Ruth? No. People don't even know this movie exists. No, I didn't John know John Goodman played Babe Ruth. Okay. And it, was, oh, well. and it was really, really good. I believe like, that. Like, he absolutely nailed the part. He is a stunning actor. He's yeah. fantastic. And I saw it with my old man in the theater, and it was it was really cool. It was one of those, like, you know, like, my dad and I bonding over a movie yes, kind of moments, yes. you know? And so it was always like, you know, if I ever met John Goodman, I'd say, you know, thank you for that. But, like, that's what I think of. I think of John Goodman as the big John Goodman. You know, um, but, you know, more power to him. He's looking great now. Not the stomach stapled John Goodman. I think he's on the old Zama, oh, Ozama, whatever. The, those those injections? Yeah, that new Ozem- drug. It's Ozempricks? Like, yeah, it's like that diabetes mm. drug. Yes, that, yes, yes. I, I've heard about that. Yeah, I think that's what he's on. But whatever he's doing, it's working. Yeah. No, it's good. Well, the movie, as it, as it, as it concludes. As it comes to a head, yeah. Barton Fink finally writes his screenplay. We don't know anything about it. He thinks it's the best thing he's ever written. No one else agrees with him. Yeah, I know. But is that because they're just jaded assholes? <laughs> or are they right and it's pretentious crap? Yeah. You know, you don't know. But ultimately, you have this bizarre moment where the police are, are circling around uh, Barton and they've they've concluded that he's he's, you know, a conspirator with Madman Munch. Okay. And everything's going to hell. But then Madman Munch, Charlie, shows up again, kills the cops, saves the day. Saves the day. It's very Patrick Bateman. Heils Hitler just just a little. <laughs> just a tad, I mean. <laughs> and he rescues Barton. Barton manages to leave with his screenplay. And the box that Charlie left for him, which presumably contains a human head. <coughs> Something mysterious. So whose head would you bet on if it's not the girl's? Uh, William Faulkner. Um, oh, who would you could say? could be Faulkner's. Yeah, oh. it could be uh, Mayhew's. Yeah. yeah. I'm thinking Lerner because uh, he's the one who basically has enslaved no, John Turturro to the studio. No, because you see Lerner alive after oh, he gives him the box. Shit. I miss so much yeah. with this movie. You Damn. need to watch it again after you watch Fargo. The scene, oh, the, my God, the, the, scene, the scene where Lerner is in the army uniform where he's got like every fucking <laughs> yes. rib and he's got like... His rifleman is yeah. I know. This clearly everything. wasn't my favorite film, Hindsiders. <laughs> but that was that was after. In fact, he had the box with him. Yes, in his office. Okay. Yeah. All yeah. Right. yeah. Yeah. So he had the box. All with right. Him. I give up. I on think that it's got to be Joanne. Was that her name? I can't. Find Could it. be. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But you don't know. And he ends up on the beach, and he's sitting there, and he's happy, and this beautiful woman shows up and 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 she adopts this pose that's exactly the same pose as the photograph that he's been staring at. He's been fixated on it the yeah. entire time, yeah. So you don't know. Yeah. Um and and I'm perfectly fine with it ending like that. Well apparently there are a lot of different theories as to why John Goodman's character, um you said Madman Munch. Munch. Madman Munch. As to why he's a serial Oh yeah, you're right. There's Lerner. Okay. Um, so apparently there are theories abound about it. So uh, one of them is that he pities his victims and sort of views murdering them as freeing them from their pitiful lives or something because he himself feels yeah, demeaned just, by just, his existence. He just killed the doctor because he argued with him over 10 bucks, though. I'm just saying there are many theories about <laughs> yeah. it evidently out there in cinema land. So I don't know. It, I guess it, there's so much left up to interpretation that you can choose your favorite Well, the more theory. discussion, the more interesting the film becomes yeah. in yeah. my mind. Yeah, because it leaves a lot of openings for Well, it's one of those movies. Holes. It's one of those movies that um, when, you know, particularly when I was a lot younger, and then you guys might have experienced this, when you would go and watch a movie, like if you went and saw Indiana Jones, <coughs> mm-hmm. not recently, but way back. I didn't even see the new when, one. When you left the theater you kind of were in an Indiana Jones yes. mood. Yes. Like you kind of felt like you were acting like, yes. you know, you became the character. Exactly. Yes. And, and with Barton Fink, the same thing kind of happened. Really? Yeah. 
I no, <laughs> I did not relate to the character it, that well. It was very easy to empathize with the character. Um, He's got almost a Nick Carraway thing going on uh, from Gatsby. Yeah, I could see that. I've always been kind of anti, not anti Gatsby, but I've always thought Gatsby was overrated. A lot of people do. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's some people's end all be all of human existence, whereas others not so much. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think it's like any other book, you know, take it for what it is. Yeah. Um, but no, I could see that though. I could totally see that. But yeah, it's like you, you have that empathy thing where you're like, you you get in that head, uh, head space. I felt like that with this movie, you know, uh, I might be the only one, <laughs> you know. Yeah, well, you know, you have a lot in common with John Turturro, same hair. Yeah, I wish. <laughs> Similar glasses. <laughs> Just kidding. But he, he's got more of the Michael Lerner glasses going on. Honestly. He does. <laughs> I'd like to be Michael Lerner's character in this movie. You can oh, play the hell out of that so role. good. Oh, oh my gosh. We need, we need to do this. We need to stage a production of Barton Our diva Fett. is indicating that we need to wrap up. So. We are going to wrap up, though, because that is kind of it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the movie ends on a on a question mark. You don't really know. They. I will say this real quick. The Coen brothers did say back in like 2009 mm-hmm. that they were thinking about doing a sequel. <gasps> Oh. Yeah, where um they but they go backwards where Tortura... No, it was the sixties. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was gonna be in the sixties. Yeah, he, he said he, he would he, play the role again. Yeah, but, uh, okay. Got where, it. it was gonna be like he was a professor. Let's no, start a letter on, writing campaign. I can, that, I that, that would be fantastic. I want that. To oh, happen. I found it. So yeah, in twenty eleven, Torturo expressed interest in portraying Barton Fink again. He mentioned in an interview the idea of portraying Fink uh Fink as a hippie during the seventies. Well, the mm-hmm. Coen brothers Evidently. actually had a different take. They actually did say, and they had an idea for it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Which is more legitimate, <laughs> I guess. I I do want to do the, so on Alf to Seinfeld. Go for it. The first time I watched it, I really liked it. And this time, I really liked it more. So I'm going to give it a seven. And I don't know if that's because the movie has necessarily gotten that much better or if it's just because I'm so fucking starved for a good just character movie with great acting because they don't exist anymore the no the current generation of consumers just does not have the patience for that kind of a movie no, youtube shorts and tiktok is destroyed is it, their, their brains can't handle anything more than 25 seconds because i think we even mentioned that on it's a wonderful life where it takes an hour to really set up the yeah. story about george bailey kids don't want to sit through that anymore no. it's just it's out yeah so I'm going to give it a seven. It's definitely improved. And and I, I don't, and I want to give the movie credit. I don't think that's just because everything else has gotten worse. I really do feel like I enjoyed the movie mm-hmm. that much more this time. So yeah, seven for me, for sure. Straight five all day. <laughs> first time seeing it. Give it, it a not nine. my favorite. <laughs> I'm giving it my first nine. nine ever. Yes. Really? Historic. I was an ALF fan back in the day before this came. <laughs> I loved ALF. Weren't we all? And, but I couldn't sit through this film. It just seemed so slow moving to me. But then once again, that was before I had any experience in the entertainment industry. And it was so spot on. You know, moving from New York as a playwright to the vapid superficiality of yeah. Hollywood. And the <laughs> characters were just so beautifully crafted. Can't get through an for, episode without hearing about that. <laughs> for the time period. Yes. What? Vapid superficiality? Keep going. going. Anyway, and and the performances were great. It it, it was thought provoking. Mm -hmm. And I I was trying to watch half, you know, half one night and then the other half last night. And I just couldn't leave it. had to watch the whole thing. I couldn't leave it. I was trying to get away. I just, I got to see what happens. (laughs) I just got to see what happens. So I really, I really loved it. So I'm going to, I'm going to go all in the nine, nine, five, seven, eight point eight. So I think that I think that's a very well justified nine. Yes. Totally. Uh, yeah. It, and it, I see your perspective and I understand it. I just didn't particularly enjoy it. But either way, that it still gets a five from me. Yes. No. Well, when, once you're a little older and more mature, you're going to find you'll have a different take on it. Uh, once I'm aged, I will I'll understand. <laughs> have you? Let me ask you this. Have either of you and I'm, I, I think I know the answer. Have you ever seen Blood Simple? Yes, never even heard of oh, it. yeah, I've seen it. Okay, all right. I have, yeah. I have friends who were like super Coen Brothers okay, fans. Okay, And they forced me to watch all these movies. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, what the hell? I'm wildly out of my depth on this episode. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not super into the Coen watch Brothers. Watch Fargo. Oh, my God. <laughs> Just by the mere fact that Frances is in it will make me watch oh, it. Love I it. love her. Oh, she owns it. She, yeah. Well, she's magnificent in Wonder yeah. Boys, so yeah. uh, I can only imagine. Yeah. Her, her, you know, uh, William H. Macy, Steve Buscemi, Frances McDormand. I oh, mean, I know it's a stacked it's, cast. It's, I've just it's, never it's gotten around to seeing cast, it. Yeah. It's not really a movie that my parents would have watched. And therefore, like, you know, I didn't have a ready avenue to see it when I was growing up. So I don't know. 
All right. Well, and take us home, my lady. Oh, shall. Well, Hindsiders, we appreciate you joining us in the studio once again for your drive time, your listening time, your murdering everyone in a hotel time. This has been Darth, Adam, and Jason with Barton Fink on Hindsight. And good night. <laughs>